0: A uh, very good and happy, smiling edition of the Behind the You podcast with my, I feel like she's my friend now, Molly McGrath of ESPN and ABC, who's been like my sideline adventurer, like three games so far this season, each of the last two weeks. How are you, Molly?
1: Good, Josh. Thanks for having me. I know I'm going to miss seeing you next week when I'm on the sidelines and you're not there. It's rare that our crew gets the same team back-to-back weeks, and it's so nice because you get to know the players a little bit better the coaches you get to know like who's loud on the sidelines and things like that with the staff you get a feel for a program covering a program multiple times in a season and then two weeks in a row is the coolest thing ever so it's been really fun to cover the hurricanes the past couple weeks and just see like the progression of this team and you and I were texting after the game and I just have to repeat this because I believe this to be true Um, and I want it recorded I think this team is really close and you know I, I think it was Mike Norvell who said this about Florida State a couple years ago it's first you lose big and then you lose small and then you win small and then you win big and you're dominant and I feel like right now Miami is at the point where you haven't even lost big. You're kind of losing small. You're in a lot of tight games, a lot of close games that you could win, could have beaten Florida state, took them down to the wire, could have beaten Louisville. You know, if you had a a healthy quarterback and some different pieces on offense, I think that this team can be really, really special. So I'm excited for what's ahead for the hurricanes.
0: Well, uh, Molly, I don't know how you did this, but we lost big last year. You buy, I didn't see you at all last year. So I don't know how you, you must've had some in with the scheduling person on the talent <laughs> side of ESPN. But, right. but, and I think you, I think, were you on the sidelines with Dabo? Was that the buy stock game?
1: Oh yes, that was me. Right. Mm-hmm. So
0: based on what you just said, we should be buying in to Miami.
1: I think so. Honestly, I think this team is really good. The defense is incredibly talented. I also really like your defensive coordinator. Hopefully he's able to stay because he's so good and talented. And I like the things that he's been able to do and his creativity and the offense, I think has been severely hampered by Tyler Van Dyke's health and the fact that he's not fully healthy. And I think that that's really hurt him. It's hurt his confidence, but you have all the pieces. This team is almost there. I have a feeling I'm going to be seeing you guys a lot next season because there are a lot of winnable games for you.
0: Good, good. So you just said something. Um, this is probably gonna be less Miami, more just the profession. I mean, it's all interesting, but I do Miami all the time. So we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll swap sideline stories, but you actually already said something that caught my attention and I have my intern, which you met this week. And I, I have done this every year, especially when there's coaching changes, which is stake out the guys who are loud talkers on the sidelines. That's where you can get your, at least if you divvy up our job into certain pieces, that's one piece where find the guys who, um, enunciate at a high level. So you have something to take in.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's all about, I think sideline reporting, once you've been doing it for a long enough time is about having a good feel where you should be standing and where to go and I know that you and I were on the same page and I was like okay I'm doing this well because you and I were kind of following each other we were in the same place by the same players during the certain moments and it's kind of like following a momentum swing you know like if The O-line's getting a ton of push up front. You're able to run the ball. Listening to the O-line is a lot of fun. Um, If the quarterback is struggling and getting hit a lot, which Tyler Van Dyke was getting hit a lot in that game. We were were were
0: peeking around the corner.
1: (laughs) We were following him. We were spying on him. I feel like I'm a little bit of a stalker, and the players look at me like, "Oh, leave me alone. Um, But I have an
0: in because I can go grab a Gatorade from our from our cart so that's kind of part of my that's part of my how I throw people off right I do the walk around and grab a drink and come back around the other side. And you can get a little
1: (laughs) bit closer yeah you can get closer than I can but I love that your staff doesn't like shoo me away you know you guys allow me to be as close as I can be respectfully you know without like distracting or or interrupting anyone um but it's interesting too because you didn't go on the Louisville sideline at all no right so i w- which you wouldn't you wouldn't need to but the sidelines for Louisville and Miami are so different i think that this Miami team has a lot of passionate emotional verbal leaders on this team and i know it's a player led team And I've talked to a lot of your players about that. This is a player-led team. The fact that the offense is struggling, but the defense is so good in years past, fingers would have been pointed and the locker room would have been divided by a year like this. But it doesn't seem like that's the case as much this season because there's so many great vocal leaders.
0: Have you seen that? Not here with us, but you you see a lot of teams, right? I I see it through a very limited prism. So I have it. I can base it sort of team the team but have you seen that with programs? You don't have to name them, but like, yes. do you, is, it, is you can see that on the sideline.
1: I have seen quarterbacks yell at their O-line saying, you need to protect me. I have seen defensive players go up to offensive players and saying, we're holding up our part of the bargain. You need to play harder. Like I have seen all of that. I've seen verbal and physical altercations with some pretty big programs with players who are just at a breaking point in the grind of the season too, right? Like you mostly see this kind of emotional breakdown in November when the season (laughs) has been long, everyone's exhausted, their bodies are exhausted, everyone's grinding to get to the light at the end of the tunnel. So you see a lot of those emotional moments. Um, But with Miami, it's positive emotion and it's positive leadership, which I really liked. And I I would go back and forth between the Louisville sideline and the Miami sideline. And Louisville was a little quieter, a little more coach-led which is fine. Miami, it's definitely more player-led. So I had more fun being on Miami's sideline. That's the reason why I was on your sideline more than anything, yeah, plus, because plus, there was good stuff.
0: I don't even know who the Louisville sideline reporter is, but no way. No way. <laughs> as fun as I am. I got not to hang out close. with you.
1: So true. So true. I got to hang out with you.
0: When you think of great football and baseball, you think about the you. When you get hurt in a car,
1: truck, or motorcycle wreck, you need to think Labovic Law Group. At Lebovic Law Group, you come first. We work to get you all the money you are entitled to. Injured? You need to call or click Lobovic. Lebovic Law Group, the exclusive sponsor
0: of the Miami Hurricanes and proud sponsor of all things Go you! Go you! All right. So this inevitably happens as well. uh, I would imagine it happens to me. Most broadcasters, sideline reporters, play by play, whatever it is. Right. If you prepare well enough, you are going to leave a lot of stuff out for a variety of reasons. It doesn't make it the storylines of the game. And I gave you a can't even believe I was like, listen, this girl just flew cross country from Seattle, drenched in Gatorade. (laughs) And I, I made her actually do a little work in preparation of this, but it was mild work. So in light of, of us, in our profession, like always having stuff that we can't always get to. And since you've had us two weeks in a row, I was going to allow you to stuff you, you uh, gathered over the last two weeks that didn't make the broadcast a nugget, a note, something that you would like to have out there.
1: That's so kind of you to (laughs) prep me because usually it's just like flying by the seat of my pants. I, I got a lot of good things in, especially this last week covering Miami for the second time. I think the one story that I wasn't able to tell, I love, I spoke with both Kiko and Cece Maunoa and I had a great time speaking with both of them. They were a blast. I think it's really cool that... They are brothers, they are roommates, they're able to be playing together. And I think the coolest part is the way that they're able to influence each other's play. And in speaking with defensive coaches, they said that Kiko thinks like an offensive player and he anticipates what the offense is about to do. And I asked him about that. He credited that to his brother, Francis, basically grading him after every practice. So these, these kids live together. And then after practice, they go do their own workout together. Like they have their own workout regimen outside of what they already do with the team. And then they sit down and they grade each other's practice. So Francis will, an O-lineman will say to Kiko, hey, just so you know, I could read your eyes right there in practice. Or like watching film here, I can tell you're leaning to the right. You're about to move to the right. This is your tell. An O-lineman can tell this. And they pick apart each other, especially on film, to make each other better so that they can think the way that their opposition thinks. And I think that's really cool. And it's shown on the field how great both of these players are and they are helping each other to be better. So I thought that was a really cool dynamic that I didn't really get to talk about. Um, and Kiko's had a great couple of games too. So um, that that's probably the biggest one. And then one of the coaching nuggets that I thought was really interesting, and I don't know if you guys talked about this or not, I have loved all of our interactions with Shannon Dawson. He's a great guy. He and Lance Guidry are are really likable, good dudes, which like I I always, I don't root for teams. I root for coaches, right? Like I I know this coach and I really like him and I have a great relationship with Mario Cristobal. I really like him. I like the people that he's chosen for his staff. Um, And I, I thought it was really interesting the way that the coaching staff handled the benching of Tyler Van Dyke And then the pulling him off of the bench and, Hey, we believe in you. You need to be our starter again. I thought the last two weeks, the way that they handled, that was really well done. And they set him up for success. And you could tell that Tyler had a little pep in his step and and he took all of that positively. And I think it's the way that he was coached. And what happened is Shannon Dawson sat with him during the week, showed him highlights of himself. Um, playing well, you know, playing well in the AM game, playing well in 2021. Hey, this is what you're capable of. Hey, when you're able to do this, this is like what I really like. And these are your strengths. And this is what we want to bring out of you in our game plan this week. So they watched some, some highlights to kind of get him into a positive headspace. And then they had a really honest conversation where Shannon Dawson said, I want to go through our entire playbook and I want you to redline everything that you don't think that you are great at. If you're not really good at this, if you don't like this in our scheme, we're getting rid of it. And I was surprised they hadn't done that earlier in the season, but I think it's because Tyler Van Dyke has had, I think it's been three different offensive coordinators in his time at Miami. And so he's used to hearing, this is what you're going to do. Go do it. Here's the play. Go. And so he's been a yes man his entire career at Miami. Just, yeah, I'll do it. Let's go. And it hasn't served him. And so Shannon Dawson was like, shaking him like tell me what you don't like like this is we need to change something don't just say you like it and then not perform well so I asked Shannon Dawson I was like well what does he not like you know what did you take out and he said the biggest thing is with some of the plays there's always an option for him to run with the ball and it's like okay here are your options this this or run with the ball here and there's always a gray area for Tyler to be able to do what he wants to do with the play. And Tyler said, I don't like the gray area. I want it black or I want it white. I want you to drop a design run or I want like a screen. I want you to tell me exactly what you want me to do. And I don't want to have to improvise in the moment. I thought that was interesting. And I was kind of like, is that a weakness of his? And then in speaking to Greg McElroy, Greg McElroy said, I was the exact same way. I wanted to go through my progressions. I didn't want to have to escape and, and make something up as I was going. I wanted it black or white. And that's the way that Tyler works. And Shannon Dawson embraced that. And we saw, I think, a better Tyler Van Dyke this week because of it.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I was just before we did this, I was watching Shannon's press conference with the media today. And he actually said, we got a lot of things out in the open. Yeah. And now, we, now we know what.
1: That's what it was. It was a very honest conversation. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. And this is what makes me feel a little insecure. And I think it's, it's important to have that kind of conversation with your quarterback and then make him feel comfortable enough to be honest. Like, Hey, I don't like this. And I saw with Tyler Van Dyke that was different this time. Cause I, we did the, um, UNC game as well. There was a big difference in him in this game versus the UNC game because this time he was a lot more vocal especially with his receivers with what he wanted from them. He would go up to his receivers and say hey at the end of that route I need you to run a little bit faster. I need you to break quicker here and I saw him talking especially some of the younger receivers going to Xavier Restrepo and saying I'm coming to you like this is what I need from you and I him demanding certain things from his receivers you could see the progression in his leadership and his comfort, which I thought was really cool to see.
0: I noted the same thing, which was typically he will come in. He'll basically sit down. Usually he would sandwich himself between like somewhere on the, where the receivers sit and basically, you know, turn to his left, turn to his right. Usually coach Dawson usually meets the quarterbacks kind of coming off the field, but he was definitely a lot more animated, you know, not only with the receivers, saw him go to the offensive linemen, even I think was after the fur which touchdown one of the touchdowns he stayed to go like that's not him or hasn't been him I should say right Interesting He waited and to congratulate those the pretty much the linemen coming off the field which has really not been his DNA. Now, Emery Williams, I joked, the first time he started, I was like, man, this guy's giving me a workout. He will not sit down. You know what I mean? Like- He's pacing. Oh my yeah. God. But not in nervous. He just like, he's just like, well, maybe just as animate, you know, not nervous, I think. From he's being full of energy. He just right, got just, like young right. energy. So literally, I remember the against Clemson, I'm like, guys, dude, I won't, I can't stop. I'm following, because he's the story, right? So where is he going to be, especially against Clemson? I'm like, guys, he doesn't stop moving. I said, I'm getting all my steps in today. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with Emory. So, yeah, it's it's funny um, just what you learn about being how you and I'm radio, you're TV, so you you're backed up by the images. But I'm trying to bring that to life through my, you know, descriptions, what I see, what they say, what I've gotten before the game. And then obviously, you know, injuries, which is kind of like the default for a sideline reporter. But I I feel like sometimes that's a low hanging fruit.
1: You just described it so well, though, the fact that he usually comes and just sits right down and talks to guys to his right and his left. And that's the majority of quarterbacks, right, that you see. And it's such, so boring for me. I'm sitting there and I'm like, I want to see emotion. I want to see leadership. I want to see this quarterback get after guys, you know, and usually they just sit down and it's kind of boring. And that's (laughs) what I saw from Tyler against UNC, And this week he was coaching up everyone around him. And I do think that that benching lit a fire under him. And I asked him during the week, I said, did seeing it from the sidelines as a non-starter as the backup, did that change things for you and give you different perspective? And he said it did. And it made him realize that he saw it from a coach's perspective and it made him realize that he definitely wants to be a coach someday after all of this and he wants to continue to like coach up his teammates and that I saw that you know during the game he was constantly coaching up guys especially his receivers and you could see it come to fruition on the field in the passing game with some explosives so it was really cool to see I'm
0: John Davis, Secretary of the Florida Lottery, and I'm proud to lead an agency that is creating brighter futures for Florida students, families, and communities. As the primary funding source of the Bright Future Scholarship Program, the lottery has helped nearly one million students reach their dream of a post-secondary education. And we will continue to do our part to ensure that every student across this state is aware of these opportunities and has the resources needed to succeed. Because together, we can build a brighter future for all. All right. Well, this is fun, but let's get into this is this is kind of be fun for me. And then hopefully it's fun for the audience. So inside of your job, as you've grown in this or as you've grown into being an experienced sideline reporter, how do you see your job? Right. Like in terms of what you're bringing to the broadcast and now along these lines, the storylines you look for, Mm -hmm. uh, what you're digging for. Because I imagine you get into a meeting with Sean and Greg, let's say this year, Greg McElroy, Sean McDonough, like they're everyone sort of wants to pull out what they need for the game
1: so true yeah
0: how do you sort of all complement each other and work together and also I'm sure you have a very clear vision about the things you think you can bring to the table to enhance the broadcast
1: okay so to start it's so funny that you talk about the production meetings with Sean and Greg because we are all looking for different things but it all comes together into this cohesive theme and storyline Sean wants to know the background he wants to know Who did this coach coach under in the coaching tree? And where is this kid from? And what does his mom do for a living? And what's he majoring in? And what are his grades like? That's what Sean wants to know because he wants to humanize these people and be able to talk about them as if he knows them in the broadcast. It's what makes him such a great storyteller. Greg is getting into the nitty gritty with like X's and O's. He's talking to the quarterback about their mechanics and their footwork and you know that kind of stuff, especially from a quarterback side. And you're
0: like, excuse me, can can, come on. Let's get started. I'm like, can I guess- get a
1: word in? No, I'm just joking. So, what I do in those meetings, it's really funny, Josh, because in the beginning of my career, I would go into those production meetings with a bunch of notes and a bunch of questions. And I would be like, okay, I'm going to ask about this, this, and this. But now I listen. I listen. And at the very end, I always follow up on the, the things that are left not followed up on like if a coach gave us he dangled a carrot i grab that carrot and i say what did you mean by that can you give me an example of this you say that he's a great leader can you tell me a story about him that you know those are the kind of follow-ups that i ask so in those coaches meetings i always my favorite thing to do is to ask follow-ups rather than to come in with my own prepared questions i think that's the most valuable thing i can do because i'm a good listener in that sense and then i do always ask certain things like if i haven't covered a team before. I'll ask who is your most vocal leader last week's loss. Who did that upset the most? Like that kind of stuff is good to know for the sidelines. Cause then, you know, Hey, that loss really hurt Matt Lee. And he is so emotional and he is angry, you know, that they weren't able to come away with the win, So I'm going to pay more attention to him during this game because he's emotional and he's invested. And that's a part of a storyline. You got a fairly calm Matt Lee this way right i did i did i did there were
0: there was a game or two earlier this year where he he was that descriptive i will say that that. but it's good to know those things right because you gotta know
1: you need to know what to look for
0: but i see him every game you uh you're coming in and out
1: yeah exactly so so that's like we all look for different things in the production meeting but for me The most value that I can add to the broadcast is by being the eyes and ears on the sidelines. And if there's a story during the week that we have, Sean will tell it better than anyone. Sean McDonough is a Hall of Fame broadcaster. He should tell the story. I'm not going to tell some story that he could tell. So I go into the game with themes in mind, with a couple different breaking news items or things on players' health, things about how their body is feeling, I go into a game with that kind of stuff. And then I just react and I act off of instinct and try to listen into the bench area to try to get the best information that I can get that and like injury updates and things like that. That's the most value that I can add is something that Sean and Greg will never see or know unless I'm the one telling it to them. You know, that's changed over the course of my career. In the beginning of my career, I would go into a game and I would be like, these are my like Five stories I love, and I want to tell these stories about these players. Now, I have a couple of those to fall back on just in case, but I know that my real value is the fact that I'm the one, the only one on the field for that broadcast, so I really try to pull from that. Sometimes I don't have prepared stories so that I'm grinding and hustling to try to get as much information from the sidelines as I can, um, and I feel like when you do that, it frees you up to listen more and to get better information from the bench area. Change the trajectory of your career or find your new passion. Both are possible at the University of Miami's Division of Continuing and International Education. The division offers over 50 courses with online and hybrid options for on-the-go professionals and busy parents. Visit Miami.edu DCIE to learn more. Or call our Enrollment Advisors at 305-284-4000
0: to discover which course is right for you. Now, do you ever get uh, any sense of, because every game's different, right? I mean, you got some games, I'm not going speak for myself, right? But I would imagine, right, there's some games where, man, there's like a flow and you're on and it's coming. And it's just like, it all works together, right? And then there's some games you're like, I don't think I've said a word in like, I don't know. I said one hit this, you know. Not that I care. Yeah. Not that I have to get to a number, but sometimes it's like, hey, lock, like, focus for a second. Like, are you missing anything? Or, but sometimes there's the, like, you know, this right? You could be, you could have the mo- the greatest sense of the animated on the sideline, and it's just not there for a game.
1: Some games are choppy. Some games have a lot of like official reviews and things. Some games have a ton of tempo, and I'm not able to get in. Um, There are definitely games like that that are frustrating and it makes me hungrier to try to find something good from the sidelines. There are also some games where my instincts are off and all like go to the Louisville sideline and then Tyler Van Dyke gets up off the field and he's kind of limping and then I have to book it back and I feel like I've missed something, you know, so it's just I think a part of sideline reporting is being in the right place at the right time. And sometimes when I don't, I'm not able to get good stuff from the bench area. I'm like, maybe I'm in the wrong place. I need to go switch up, you know, my, my mojo and like go to somewhere else and listen to a different group. Gidry last week was hollering at something. And I was by Jason
0: Taylor. Cause he's a loud talker. He was talking to the, like the safeties and I'm like, oh crap. Right. And then I got over there and I kind of like it was just the tail end of it. So I was like, all right, missed that. So, and you're it's such you're a bummer like, when you know you missed oh, it. When you ah, know you missed something, worst. it's
1: like, oh, I just missed a really cool moment. Or like you see a player from afar screaming at his teammates and getting really emotional. And you run up to try to get it. And then it's the moment's over. Or are
0: you do it? Are you dodging and peak? Cause like sometimes you got to like get through the players to the coach, you know. The, some coaches are face talkers, some coaches are back. You know what I mean? Like, there's like, I can't use that guy. He's just of no help to me because I'll never hear a word he says. And you're just always, and actually for me, for you guys, I got to make sure I don't get run over by your truck. Cause you're I all, know. You got,
1: <laughs> there's always so many moving parts on the sidelines and you have to keep your head on a swivel. And for yeah. you, I can imagine, it's probably pretty cool covering a team and knowing the personalities, knowing that Jason Taylor is a loud talker and knowing that like you can get like different things like that, knowing the personnel. That's why covering a team a couple of weeks in a row really helps. Right. right?
0: You get a good, clear, clear sense of what's going to work for you. Yeah.
1: You get a feel of what the bench area is like. And a lot of, a lot of it. Yeah, sure. I know I get a feel for what they're going to play. Like that's fine. But, Most people don't know you and I don't just stand at the line of scrimmage and watch the game. We're standing behind the bench area, listening in while the offense is on the field. I'm grinding, trying to listen to what the defense is saying to each other.
0: My friends who are, this is a very localized deal, right? My friends who are Canes fans after the game, you know, text messages, good or bad, whatever it is. And like, I probably missed half of it in the moment. Right? Like, because that's not my job, really. My job really isn't to watch the game. My job is to do what you said. So it's if the offense is on the field, sometimes I'm behind the defensive bench,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Or no, if the offense is on the field, I'll be standing behind the offensive bench, you know, waiting for them to come up. You know what I'm saying? Like we watch the game from a, diff- a completely different perspective. Like I'm defenses on the field. I'm going to make sure even if it's on the other side of the field that I'm at the defensive bench. So as they're coming back, I can hopefully find something from the moment the series ends to whenever they go back on the field.
1: Yeah, I think it's a delicate balance of, paying enough attention to the game itself, paying attention to the bench area, paying attention to your producer in your ear. Like there are so many different things that you're paying attention to at once. And like early in my career, I only paid attention to the game. I didn't pay attention enough to the bench area. And then in the middle, I'm still in the middle of my career, but like Maybe when I felt more comfortable, I, list, I at one point only listened to the bench area. I would like take my ear out and I would hardly listen to the broadcast. I'd have a feel for what was going on on the field. I do that I a was...
0: lot. I'm not an IFB, so I'm like this. So in order for me to hear, I got to do this and then I'll go back in. But sometimes, well, not, I'm going to say sometimes, but there are times, so I don't have a producer per se, So, but the, my guys right. sometimes are the producers. So they'll be like, hey, so-and-so is coming off the field. I might miss that because I'm doing over here. So they help me out. I'm not sure they knowingly know they're helping me out, but they're helping me out.
1: Yeah, definitely. It's nice to have that little extra nudge and like someone telling you something that's going on because you may have missed it because you're paying attention to something else. I will say that like within the last two years, I think I found a good balance of I pay attention to the game and I still pay attention to the bench area. And it's really helped me because that game awareness and what's happening in the game gives you a good instinct on – where to stand in the bench area, it also helps with questions. And my one of my jobs also is if if Sean McDonough or Greg McElroy are wondering something, if they're just wondering aloud asking a question, why would they go like, why would they do this? Why are they not using Ruben Bain? Why did they go for it on fourth and two? That was a bad call. What, what's going on with their long snapper? Like if they're just wondering anything, it's my job to find out the answer. So I need to be able to hear what they're talking about and what they're wondering so that I can find the answer for them. So I think it's just within the last couple of years that I've, I feel like I finally have a really good balance of both of paying attention to the game and paying attention to the bench area and respecting both because yeah. it's really, really hard to do.
0: But we, I would say I watch the other good balances the Jumbotrons, cause I basically behind mm-hmm. the bench and wa- I can watch the game and, and observe the bench, watch the game, observe the bench.
1: Totally. That helps. For
0: my guys, it's funny. We're in a, we're pinned in a corner. So when the ball's at the – so where the game ended for Miami going that way, when the ball's down that way, I'll position myself there. And now I'm like a spotter. Spotter, yep. producer, you know, Mario's talking to the refs. Mario wants to call a timeout. That interaction And you can overhear
1: sudden, it. Ball. Yep, it's great.
0: So then I'm like, for us at least, a semi-third analyst. Very semi. Mm-hmm. But I'm actually just trying to spot for my guys because we're not – we don't have the good seats like like you guys have. Um, Well,
1: there's, there are certain points in the game too, where, you know, to pull away from the bench and you know, that you're going straight to the line of scrimmage and like in the red area or at the goal line. And it's, you know, a tie game, like you want to pay attention to exactly what's happening on the field. And you want to hear what the coach is saying to the officials. And you want to hear what the coach says to the quarterback as he runs off after the game winning or like the, the go ahead touchdown, you know, stuff like that. So it's also really fun to abandon the bench area and go straight to the line of scrimmage and, and say, this is where I'm going to camp out and find out information as well.
0: Well, the other thing too, is you do this. I do this. A lot of people in our position do this, right? So the game is there's halftime, right? So that's always its own little morsel of the game, but that's mostly game stuff. Like if you're talking to the coach and you're, you're talking to both, I'm talking to one, right? So you got to be aware of the game and the ebbs and the flows. And so we're, you know, I'm sure you're getting a lot of that from Sean and Greg and your own observations, just like I'm getting it from my guys. Um, Mm -hmm. how much, when do you start prepping for that in the game? When do you start sort of getting yourself ready for halftime
1: for halftime? You know, it's so funny. I used to write uh, throughout the game. So throughout the game, I write down themes. I don't write down questions. I write down themes like the theme for Louisville in the second half. Like I, when I was writing down themes was utilizing their tight ends more in the passing game. Um, you know, like their creativity on offense. So I'll just write bullet points of themes, creativity on offense, run defense, like just stuff like that. So I start to write down themes and then probably a minute or two before halftime, I will formulate in my head and maybe write down a question that coincides with that. So at halftime this week, I spoke with Jeff Brom and I had two questions I forget off the top of my head what they were but I had two questions for him I think one was about he was kind of getting after his quarterback um, Jack Plummer and so it was going to be about like your message to him or what have you seen from your quarterback in this first half and then right before we go into halftime one of their player gets called for targeting and then their place kicker misses a field goal and so I'm like well there go my questions. Those are, that's what I'm going to ask about. I'm going to ask right. about the most recent action and what people at home must be wondering. And so those were the two questions I asked him about, you know, the targeting call, what he thought. And he's like, yeah, it was definitely targeting. We can't do that. He, he deserved it. And then um, I said, how concerning are your issues in the kicking game? And he's like, very. And then in the second <laughs> half, they came back with a different kicker. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of situation where I prepared for two questions, and then literally seconds before I did the interview, I changed it, and I decided to go with something completely different. Imagine a bank that cares about you, one that sees their customers as part of a team with a common goal to achieve their dreams. Well, imagine that. There is one. We're Amaranth. We're ready to help you wherever you are in life, and just as importantly, wherever you want to go. Amarant, official hometown bank of the University of Miami Hurricanes, member FDIC.
0: How sensitive are you to just whatever you're going to ask, how you're going to ask it that you're talking to guys sort of in the heat of competition? Does
1: that cross your mind at all? So, one thing that I think all reporters need to be very wary of is trigger words. You don't want to use a trigger word with an emotional person in a moment. You don't want to say, your defense is getting killed Uh, or like, you know what it, trigger words are like a word that a coach could latch onto. And then they won't answer your question. They will latch onto that one word. And then they'll say, well, I don't think we're getting killed. It's not that bad. Or like coach, your offense is really struggling. Struggling, our offense isn't struggling. We're moving the ball. We're just not able to score right. once we get in the red zone. Like they will then defend themselves to you. So you can't use trigger words with coaches, or it'll ruin the interview. So my respect for the emotion of the moment is that I try to ask my questions straight with no trigger words. I try not to elaborate too much. There, sometimes we we'll all just say. What challenged you most in the first half? Like, I think when in doubt ask the simplest question possible, Hey coach, what'd you think? Or like, uh, I think I, I forget if it was Marcus Freeman, a follow-up question. I, I just said, what went wrong in the first half? And he just went off about what went wrong and it was awesome. So I think that's the biggest thing when you're dealing with someone who's emotional, you can't use um, emotional words because it'll ruin the interview.
0: I can't even believe I've waited this long to get to this part, but walk me through the Gatorade bath, please.
1: <laughs> my gosh. Well, it's funny. So, well, not
0: funny, but, you know, again, since we've now sort of befriended each other and I'm like, of mm-hmm. course. So for me, it's different than you in the sense of we win. I, it's it's like a party for us and we lose. It's like I just turn my equipment off. Boom, boom. And head head drops and I'm going into the locker room because we do some stuff in the locker room after the game. And then yeah. I get home that night. I'm like, oh. <laughs> look what happened to molly and i think i texted. was like did you get home safe like please tell me you got to change your clothes but like is that a first time or no first time
1: offense no i it's gatorade bath season baby it's that time of the year where like teams are clinching for their championship games or if a team you know if we go to the acc championship or whichever championship game our group covers that's gatorade bath territory Right, so you have to just be aware and have your head on a swivel. So it's happened before; it just hasn't happened in a long time, and I didn't expect it. I was truly shocked, and you can tell by my face oh, the facial, in yeah, the video, one hundred percent. I was shocked, like oh, what was that? And it kind of hit me from the side, and it got in my ear, and like oh. Um, but you will. This will kill you as a fellow reporter. So I pride myself on getting to the coach very quickly for the interview. So they come off of the handshake and I'm standing there and I'm ready to go and I'm like, I have the coach. And so that they have no excuse not to go to the interview because with ESPN, we have back-to-back-to-back games and they're ready to go to the next game right when our game goes final. But I need to get that interview in because I feel that it's valuable, especially in a clinching scenario where they're going to the ACC championship for the first time in school history. And so I'm waiting with the coach, waiting with the coach. I'm ready. They're about to come to me. The Gatorade gets dumped on us and they well, say that was, you, so, that was
0: pre-air. That was pre-air. It was pre-air.
1: It was oh. pre-air. And they say, so sorry, Molly, we have to go to the next game. The interview what? is going to be taped offline and we can't take it live. <laughs> oh, no. I was devastated. And I, I was like, this is an emotional moment. This is emotional. Like, we need this.
0: Were you upset? Are you angry? Do you get angry? You don't say I've never you're just a, a full of laughter, joy and smiles every time I see you. Now I see you like pre-game, So. Like, are you so, angry? Does Amaly McGrath get angry?
1: No, I wasn't angry. I get it. There are so many moving parts in our company and at our network that it's like, that can't be helped. But I had a couple different conversations with uh, leadership and our bosses after. And I said, hey, I understand that like there's pressure from studio to get to studio to go to the next game. And like, we have so many moving parts with integration. But just so you know, that was a missed opportunity and a mistake. And we should have taken that interview live. If we had taken it live, they would have come to me sooner because they had to count off the air. They would have come to me sooner. They would have literally, Sean probably would have thrown to me. We would have been doused with Gatorade and I would have gone straight into the interview from there. It would have been an incredible moment. And everyone I spoke with agreed. And they said that was a mistake. That was a miss. So it was a missed opportunity. That stuff happens, right? It's like, it is what it is. But to be there waiting and to have that like viral moment and to not go into a live interview was pretty um, crushing. Honestly, it it sucked, but it is what it is.
0: Wait, you take the bath and then you find out it's not, Hey, we're going to tape. So then there's like a, a quick pause, like regathering and then, all right, all right, let's do this coach three, two, one, whatever you do it, right? And then yeah. like they continued to like-
1: count off the air and then I waited for them to cue me and then oh, I did geez. the interview. <laughs> but he but but Jeff Brom had to wait thirty seconds for us to get uh, off and the long? air. So he,
0: and that feels like how much?
1: It feels like a decade. He's just standing there with me and I'm like, I'm sorry, coach, please wait. I'm sorry, coach. We're going off the air. Congratulations, by the way. Great game plan. How are you? Oh, okay. You're making small talk. You were like trying to get to the moment. And then you're like, you guys, can you count me down? Can we do the, okay, here we are. All right, coach. And then you get into the moment. You know, it's like that 30 seconds, the emotions go, they're up here. And then in that 30 seconds, as you're waiting, they plummet. And the emotions change and it's not as exciting. It's why the position is so valuable to get someone in that moment, in that raw moment to get that like incredibly emotional interview. It's It's a great rush, isn't it?
0: I mean, I I would say post game is a great rush, right? Like if so, there's the, where, where'd you, where'd you sprint onto the field? Was that Kentucky? Who was that Pitt? West Virginia? Where's that video? Oh yeah.
1: Oh goodness. That was Pitt at West Virginia, and West Virginia won, and we were worried about them storming the field because it's a rivalry game. And so I like booked it as quickly as I could.
0: So, have you, ever, have you ever not made it? Have you ever either not made it or it's been like literally challenging to fight off the scrum?
1: Yeah, the national championship last year, and I will never let it happen again. So, after the national championship game, I'm on the sidelines with Holly Rowe, and I was on. TCU side and she was on Georgia side and she said you know I'm on Georgia side so she kind of got first pick of like who she would want to interview right after the game and she said well this is Stetson Bennett's last game in uh, Georgia uniform I'm going to interview Stetson Bennett and I was like okay I'm this second interview I'm interviewing Kirby Smart I'm not going to make Kirby Smart wait 90 seconds while Holly interviews Stetson so I'm just going to stay near him and then grab him and do the interview the second they come to me and for the life of me I couldn't find him he was nowhere to be found I'm on the field I look his wife is next to me and I go where's Kirby and she's like I don't know and I'm like you guys I can't find Kirby I don't know where he went and I think I haven't confirmed this with him but I think he went into the locker room to follow uh, TCU's quarterback to To like congratulate him and I think to go like to be a great sport and to like congratulate the TCU people and, and all of that. Like he went into the TCU locker room area, so he was off the field. He like right after the game kind of ran off the field. So did you pivot? It was complete chaos. I was so stressed. And then I saw him come out of the tunnel and I sprinted towards him and I was like, I finally have him. <laughs> Luckily with the national championship, it was a situation where – They're on the air with all the pomp and circumstance. And so it's not like we have a hard out, right? They're just like talking and going over the game and going over the quotes and the emotions and showing a lot of pictures and images. And so I had time to scramble to find Kirby Smart, but for a good, I don't know, it felt like 30 minutes, but it was probably three minutes. I couldn't find him for the life of me. And it was really, really stressful. So my goal after every game now is that the coach turns around off the handshake and I'm standing there and he cannot escape me. (laughs) That's my goal because I'm not missing another coach interview. Join us at Gulfstream Park this spring with live action Thursday through Sunday. Enjoy entertainment outdoors at the Carousel Club or feast in Ten Palms. Not hungry? Visit our many on-site shopping locations from fashion stores to home furnishings. For schedules, reservations, and tickets, visit GulfstreamPark.com.
0: So uh, you'll appreciate this. Mark Fletcher. I think that was the Clemson game overtime. So I grab him after because I am mindful for you guys. So like I try not I'm not do, we do the coach. We get we get our coach anyway, so I'm not. But sometimes you get a player and I'm like, man, if I grab the player that TV wants, that's a bad look. For, I don't want to be that person. Right. So I kind of mm-hmm. let it go and then see who filters out. But again, remember, well, you don't need to remember but for our people that are listening, right? It's 80, 300 pound people and us and we're going against the tide usually. Right, oh, trying yeah. to find somebody. So anyways, I finally get a hold of Mark Fletcher. Now, Mark Fletcher, that week leading up to Clemson was, don't say death, very sick. Let's say very sick. So in the middle of the, and he kind of looked that way on the sideline. I was kind of noticing like something was whatever, but who knows? I don't like to, I don't like to make things up either, right? So it's like, I don't <laughs> know exactly what's going on. I'll just keep my mouth shut because I don't want to, or I'll say maybe I from the looks of it, but I'm never going to say like, I think he's sick and then he's not. Yeah, sick. definitely. Yeah,
1: you don't want to assume Totally.
0: But he was sick. So after the game, I'm on the field. He's got his arm around me. You know, we're doing the interview. And he starts having like this hellacious coughing attack. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, I'm like, whoa. And he, But he backs up too. Was this live? Yeah, live on there. Yeah, he backs up too. So oh, I don't know if he's man. like, he's going to throw up. He's just sick. I don't know if it's breathing. I don't know what's going on. And then afterwards, he goes, look, man, after the interview, I said, hey, everything okay? He goes, yeah, man, I was really sick all week. I just didn't want to get you sick. I'm like, well, thank you very much. And then I called my wife and I go, get ready. I'm going to be deathly sick this week. And nothing ever happened. Get the vitamin
1: C out. Did you get sick?
0: (laughs) No, I did not. But I was pumping all kinds of vitamins into my body that week. But I was like, that's very thoughtful of you, buddy. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah, yeah. You definitely get like very close after those games and those scrums. And players are excited. And there's like spit flying and coughing. And I don't know what I would do. If someone had a cough attack in the middle of an interview, I think I would like – try to pivot to someone else i like that would be so so awkward especially on on live
0: but we're on the radio so i can i can walk through that a little bit differently but yeah so last yeah. thing see you're you live in seattle right i do the plane is a place is a place of preparation
1: it is uh, most of my flights i think pretty much every week this season other than maybe one week all my flights are over four hours it's a grind but I do a ton of prep I do a ton of prep at home during the week but I set things aside for the plane and so I make sure that I have my plane which prep. is what um so uh, during the week I I create my depth charts I watch film I go through like stats and then I prep for interviews with players I talk to players one-on-one on my own and I have all of the notes I, I type out what the player is saying verbatim while I'm interviewing them and so I go through all of those verbatim notes on the plane and I put them into categories and themes and then I have a story from that Um, and so I go through all of my extensive quotes throughout the week on the plane weed through what I think is interesting what's not worth it read through it all kind of memorize it so that I can use it in any situation in the game Um, so like my time on the plane is for organizing my quotes and, and writing my stories essentially
0: And then for you, uh, in your production meetings, are you not not fighting like literally, but like, hey, this is what I wanted, like here's some things I want to weave in if the opportunity presents itself. Is that part of your production meetings or or based on what you said before, is it kind of like, no, I've kind of changed how I do things. So I'll pick and choose when we get to the game and things are developing in the moment.
1: I tell them a couple things. I'll say, hey, here's a couple things that I think are really interesting. And this is where I can add value. Like this week is a lot of injury stuff. I said, Um, You know, I have great information from Tyler Van Dyke on what's going on with his leg. Um, So I can can add to that if we want to have a conversation. And then with Louisville's players, Jamari Thrash, their lead receiver, talked to me and only me about a hand injury that he was struggling with. Um, and they're running back Jawar Jordan talked to me about a knee injury that he had that he felt like was still hampering him. So I told the guys, hey, this is I think this is valuable. We have to get this in the broadcast at some point so I can add on this. And then I'll say, you know, also I'm gonna be paying a ton of attention to Tyler Van Dyke and like his emotions in this game and da-da-da-da. So I give them a, an idea of what I'm thinking of. And there are times during commercial breaks where I can hear Sean McDonough and he'll say, Hey, we need to get that Tyler Van Dyke injury thing. in. like, that is important. Let's go to Molly soon. And so it's good because it pays off and they listen to it and they remember it. And then they're able to help me tell that story on the air.
0: It's good when your team is uh United.
1: It is, it is, it's, it's really great. And it takes a while to get there. You have to, it's like chemistry and the ebbs and flows of, that kind of relationship within a broadcast, but our group is in a good place right now where we're able to do that uh, a little more seamlessly.
0: I missed the out, Molly, I'm sorry. I told you I'd have you out of here a few minutes ago. I know you're you're a mother and a wife, mm-hmm. as a, more importantly than a sideline reporter. So thank you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate you doing this. And uh, I don't know when I'll see you again, but I hope sometime soon.
1: Yeah, hopefully our paths cross soon, especially if what I predicted, if you guys are- correct are winning soon and and soon meaning next year, then I'll be seeing a lot of you.
0: All right. Safe travels. Stay safe the rest of the the month of December as you crash into bowl season and playoffs.
1: Thanks, Josh. I appreciate you. It was great chatting with you.
0: All right. Bye Molly. Bye.
1: Bye.